1: Another geopolitical issue, and that is Brexit.
0: Yeah, and I think that this is an important issue to kind of distill at this point, because we're coming up on a vote this weekend that really could go either way. Let's just set the scene uh, with Maria Tadeo of Bloomberg Television. Maria, thank you so much for being with us. Can you just give us a lay of the land? Where are we in this EU-UK agreement?
2: So this is what we know. We have a deal between the EU and the UK, with if you look at the details, you could argue it's actually very similar to that of Prime Minister Maine. The Prime Minister is spending this as it's a better, new, and improved deal, but some of the technicalities actually show that it's a very similar deal to that of Theresa May. The one crucial aspect is that he was able to change the terms of the backstop, which now will only apply to Northern Ireland, and those checks will be done between the UK and Northern Ireland and the Irish so the Irish are happy with this. The problem is the Northern Irish are not happy. And this is when it becomes very tricky for the Prime Minister. At this hour, it's clear as day that he does not have the numbers he needs to get the deal through. He does not, or is not in a position to guarantee that when we get to Saturday, he'll be able to get the deal approved. And I'm sure this is ringing a bell because we've been here many times where a deal is struck between the EU and the UK, but then the United Kingdom, uh, or the United Kingdom Parliament decides we are not like it, we're going to vote it down and we go back to square one. What's clear is that Saturday is going to be a big showdown because there is that hard deadline coming up quickly of October 31st for a no-deal Brexit.
1: All right, so let's bring in Dr. Sam Natopoff. He's president of Empire Global Ventures. He joins us on the phone from Washington, D.C. And Sam, first of all, great to have you back with us. Thanks for your patience as we've bounced around uh, the world here a little bit this afternoon. But, you know, we now have a good understanding from Maria of what happens next. But I want to zero in on one of the points she made, which is amid all this excitement, we've been here before. There's been a deal. And the devil is not just in the details. The devil's sort of in the vote in the UK parliament. How are you gaming that out at this point?
3: Well, I think Maria uh, pointed out very well that this is a very close vote. And at the moment, it looks likely that Boris Johnson, the prime minister, will not win this vote. And you know, I, I think it's fascinating to understand that we've just heard in the last 24 hours, both the prime minister of Great Britain and the president of the United States put a brave face on a bad voluntary decision. When it comes to the United States, President Trump unilaterally withdrew U.S. troops from the region as a result, sparking this conflict. And now there's a ceasefire. But that was a voluntary decision by the president, and now he's putting a brave face on the fact that the shooting has stopped. Flipping over to the U.K. on the other side of the pond, you have Boris Johnson desperately trying to put a brave face on a voluntary decision, the, you know, the, the way that Brexit has been prosecuted up to now, and saying, we now have a deal. As Maria pointed out, this is a deal that could have been had two years ago, and now it goes to the House of Commons. Now, so, the Labour Party, the major opposition party, has already said they won't support it. The, the Democratic Unionist Party, the, the coalition partner for the Conservatives, have already rejected it. So it's exceptionally unlikely that this bill is going to pass.
0: So, Dr. Natapoff, what happens if it doesn't pass?
3: So, um, Dominic Gleason, who is the, uh, the, the famous tactician behind Boris Johnson and behind the, uh, the Leave campaign, they have gamed this out. And now assuming that you know Boris Johnson loses his vote on Saturday they will say they will say it's time for a general election we had a deal for brexit and now it is the people versus the parliament parliament rejected the deal that the people had voted for 17.4 million people across britain voted to leave the european union we had a deal and Parliament, for its you know confusing and corrupt ways, has decided to not honor the will of the people. And that will be the basis on which uh, Boris Johnson will try and run the next general election.
1: All right. So, Maria, give us the perspective from Brussels. What is the EU saying at this point, again, with this backdrop of they've reached a deal before, but they also know that, in this case, Boris Johnson, the prime minister, they went through this with Theresa May. He's got to get it across the finish line. So where do they stand, and are they just in a wait-and-see mood?
2: Well, a number of things. They do believe that uh, the prime minister does have something that Prime Minister Theresa May did not have, and that is the fact that he is perceived as being a true Brexiteer. This Hmm. is someone who really wants out. The prime minister May was always seen as wanting to stay close to the EU sure members he actually campaigned in favor of Remain. so they do believe that the one thing that could help Boris Johnson is the fact that in the United Kingdom, he is seen as someone who wants out. No question. He wants to take the UK out of the EU. Now, secondly, the prime minister is saying he doesn't want to get an extension. He says, I was able to deliver a deal come Friday So the Ban Act, which is crucial because that is the piece of legislation that would force him to ask, for more time, made it clear that he would only have to do if he was not able to get a deal. So tomorrow he's going back to London saying, I have a deal, there's no need for more time. All you need to do is vote for this deal. So it's clear that he wants to say, this is not my responsibility, I've done the right thing, it's down to the UK Parliament. And in the meantime, the Europeans are willing to let him run with it. You know, today they didn't want to talk about giving more time. They didn't want to talk about plan B. They didn't want to take our questions on would they even consider granting more time because they feel that that could help him. The fact that this is being framed as, look, we have two weeks to go. I'm a true Brexit here. This is a deal. I promised to get rid of the backstop. I did that. What else?
0: So, Dr. Netapuff, I want to go back to your point that you made earlier that these are sort of manufactured problems that people are trying to solve. If there is another vote, do you think, or even a referendum, do you think that U.K. voters would opt to reverse Brexit?
3: Uh, I do think that. But let's remember the, the statistics of the vote in June 2016. This was generational revenge. Everyone under the, you know, more or less, everyone under the age of 45 voted to remain. And everyone above the, most people above the age of 45 voted to leave. And there was, you know, impressive turnout in, this, in the mid sixty percentile ranges for, you know, voters between the ages of eighteen to uh, eighteen to fifty. But for voters um, of the ages of fifty-five to sixty-four, they turned out at seventy-four percent, and ninety percent of all voters, uh, potential voters above the age of sixty-five, turned out to vote for Brexit. So, given what we have just heard, that is the Shadow Brexit Minister from the Labour Party, Jenny Chapman, has announced that. Uh, that Jeremy Corbyn, the labor leader, he backs a referendum with any deal. There is now discussion of having a vote after this Brexit vote on Saturday for a second referendum. So there will be a very clear choice on Saturday, Brexit under these terms or a second referendum. And I believe that once the, the vote is lost for Brexit, I think there's going to be more momentum for a second referendum.
1: All right. Well, we will have to wait and see. All eyes turn to Saturday for sure as Boris Johnson uh, makes his way back to London, as you guys have very ably laid out. We really appreciate it. Dr. Sam Natapoff, president of Empire Global Ventures, joining us on the phone from D.C. And Maria today, our colleague from Bloomberg Television and Radio, over in Europe with the latest. Thank you both.
4: It's been a slow journey.
1: All right. Lisa Brown's flattery will get you everywhere here in this studio. I'm trying. Uh, you're doing a great job. Uh, happy to have Dan North back with us. He is chief economist looking after North America for Euler Hermes based down in Baltimore here with us in New York City today. So much going on in the world, Dan, that we want to talk to you about Let's keep it a little bit local for the moment because the Fed, I know you watch it so closely. We're hearing from speakers here and there. They're going to get together in a couple weeks. We've got some data. Where's where's their head at at this point in terms of where we go from here for well, Fed policy?
4: Well, you talked about keeping it local and I'd have to just say one thing really quickly. The last time I was in here, I was talking about Amazon and consumer prices yes. and the word price transparency do you remember this yes i, I did. couldn't get it out it took me three it, i tried three times and then you finally rescued me that <laughs> <I> was a that <laughs> was a beautiful moment i'm very grateful to you for that well you're welcome but uh to, to get um <laughs> i was getting a little sweaty there for a while <laughs> but, but to get to the fed you know i think um what you hear from uh, Powell and some of the other speakers is this uncertainty about the global situation, global trade. And so it gets back to that first cut, which was sort of an insurance cut, if you will. I think that I thought the, the next one, the last one was, and I think the next one, too, because if this trade situation continues to decay, and my guess is it will, mm-hmm. um, you know, you've got to try and get in front of it now by cutting rates now. So that's what I think they're looking at. Also, lowering inflation expectations. they got to get in front of that, too.
0: Dan, did you hear that Americans feel the best ever about buying stuff?
4: I did not hear that.
0: Well, is that coming from you? It's coming from <laughs> me, but it's coming from data. I'm not just making it right. up. The the Bloomberg Consumer Comfort Index uh, showed that American sentiment about the buying climate reached an all time high last week, and yet you wrote consumers aren't as strong as you right. think they are. Please right. square that.
4: Well, here's the thing. If I I don't know what the Bloomberg Uh, survey says, but I know what the Consumer Confidence Survey says, and it says, yes, right now we do feel great. So there is a correlation there but we're looking out in the future and we really are nervous about that. And when you get that big a, diver, uh, a divergence there, that's often a sign, it's almost always a sign of an oncoming recession. So yes, and I get this pushback all the time. What are you talking about recession? Things are great. Yes, that's what I'm saying, things are great now. Lots of consumer confidence. But if we look out in the future, you know, we're trying to look a bit, little bit ahead, it's not quite so bright there. And it's funny, I give uh, presentations and webinars like this, trying to make my case about how it's great now, but all these indicators say recession. I get comments back, you're fake news, you're fake news.
1: (laughs) Right. And what do you say back to that? That the data disagree? Or, I mean, you've been a pretty good predictor of this stuff in the past, you personally.
4: I try to just say, you know, very gently, that's what I said. Things are good now. Let's look at the data that I have in front of you. Yes, but let's try and look forward to, and, and it can't be fake news because it's not news yet. Right. So, you know, it's, uh, that's kind of the way I try and put it uh, in a gentle way.
0: You know, people have been saying that there is a recession that's imminent for a long time, and they've been wrong again and again. And we're actually seeing from the earnings uh, that companies did a little better, at least mm-hmm. so far, very preliminary, uh, but have done better than people expected. So does that make you perhaps rethink your position?
4: Um, I think the position is maybe not as solid as it was a while ago. Uh, I, I may think about that, but you know, when we first saw the yield curve invert, and I feel very strongly about it, that was May, and it takes a year. So we're looking at next May yet, and that's why I'm trying to look ahead and some of these other indicators give you a, a long lead time as well. So the fact that earnings were great, which earnings can be manipulated a little bit, um, is fine this quarter, but we're looking at the first half of next year, um, so you know the the again it gets back to the issue of great earnings today. What are we looking at uh, half a year from now?
1: All right. So take us into the trade war a little bit, and you know potential deal maybe coming still needs to be papered, uh, as they say. It feels like we are at this economic decoupling moment, though, even amid this deal. I think about the NBA. I think about some of the mm-hmm. other things that have been playing through. How does that play through to businesses and to the consumer as you start to get at least the outlines of a trade deal?
4: Right. Well, so far, we've seen investment held down by the uh, the tariffs because businesses are saying, well, you know, uh, if this keeps going on, I don't really want to invest right now. And the tariffs that we have in place with China have cost the average uh, American family something like eight hundred dollars a year, let's say, which isn't a lot. It's a lot to some people, but the next tranche is going to be very focused on consumer goods: uh, iPhones, uh, apply- electric appliances, apparel—that's you know that, that sort of thing. That's going to really start hitting the uh, the consumer. Then, um, you know, we had an agreement. a quote agreement last Friday, which I I was really surprised at the market reaction. You were talking about treasury yields, and it was nothing. It was nothing at all. You know, we delayed tariffs we were going to put into place, so, you know, nothing happened on that side, and the Chinese said, well, we'll buy some soybeans. And so, and suddenly the markets popped and the yields went up and and I was, there's a disconnect there for me.
0: So uh, let's say that you're right and we are headed toward a recession in the near term. What does it look like?
4: What do you mean in terms of severity and 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 length? Yeah. Yeah. I think we have less financial imbalances now than the last time. Um, So I think that we're most likely looking at a less severe um, uh, recession, Probably you know two, maybe three quarters, but uh, we think it's probably going to be less less severe this time around. What does worry me though is that overnight funding market, that doesn't feel right. I mean there are explanations for it. you know we had corporations had to pay taxes and uh, banks had to buy treasury bonds. so there's a run on cash. Well, ever since then the Fed has been flooding the markets with cash and has a big plan to fed more uh, feel to feed more cash in that is if we get a credit crunch that is really that's that's what re- really was part of the very dangerous yeah. part of the previous recession it doesn't feel right to me even though it's logical you suddenly have this big turnaround in activity and you know what else doesn't feel right all these ipos that are going wrong you yeah. um, were just, you're just uh, talking about that. Yeah, mm. yeah. When you see all those going wrong, it uh, it gives me a feeling that that's, things are toppy, if you will.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I was just reading a headline that Endeavor formally pulled, yep. which I think was expected. They look like they're going to come uh, back down the line, but not for now, that's for sure. Dan North, Chief Economist, North America for Euler Hermes, based down in Baltimore. here with this in New York City.
0: Money, money,
1: money, money. We're going to be talking
0: about, you guess it, money, making lots of it. A guy on Reddit turning $766 into $107,758 with just two options trades. And he credits Reddit for it. Uh, joining us is the author of the story on Bloomberg News, Brandon uh, uh Brandon, can you just give us a sense of what happened that allowed this guy to make such an amazing return?
5: Yeah, I mean, the basics are short dated out of the money options and taking a, a punt on them. <laughs> it's really what it comes down to. I mean, so... Over what uh, time period? Yeah, I mean, so it was like two days, basically, for these Roku ones. Um, and then he had, uh, he, you know, flipped it again and, and took his winnings and wanted to gamble. And, and he did it again on spy options a couple days later.
1: All right, so... Break it down for us for those not as familiar with the intricacies of this. How how did he get the info, and then what exactly did he do with it? Walk us through it.
5: Yeah, so Roku options are a very popular play on this Reddit forum, and and if you go on there, you'll see people talking about them fairly often. This is called Wall Street bets. Wall Street bets on Reddit, and it that's not surprising, right? Roku's been a pretty Um, volatile stock lately but it's also had this huge run-up this year so someone like eddie was looking at it and he was like you know hey this might not keep going why not take a chance and he he you know Flat out said, I was willing to lose this money. Mm -hmm.
0: The interesting thing about this story is it kind of is less about the actual lottery ticket of a trade, which is essentially what it is, and more about the culture of this subgroup on Reddit, which is not tiny, 600,000 people. Can you give us a sense of what it's like?
5: Yeah, I mean, definitely a lot of people. Um, So uh, what I was trying to get across is like, look, you do have this sort of, uh, to be I guess, a uh, generous locker room sort of humor. Mm. Um, you have all these things I say. I mean, there's misogyny, there's racist comments. I mean, but, you know, if you read it, some of it's obviously meant as sarcastic and people will say you're a prol clutcher for <laughs> bringing these things and that you're not reading it with the intent that it is so, I mean, there's some of that caveat emptor here in writing it, and that's full
0: disclosure. Brandon is not wearing pearls, nor is he clutching them. <laughs> but right. carry on,
5: yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I mean, that's sort of that's part of the culture, is this joking thing. Um, but what I was really hoping to get across is there are some people on here that know what they're talking about. Now, granted, Eddie's trade is like we said, it's a lottery ticket, like, and he's the first person to admit, you know, there's a lot of luck involved here. Um, but there are people on there that if you're willing to wade through and read through a bunch of stuff that's not exactly seemly, uh, there's some good, very good commentary.
1: Well, it's also a reminder that, you know, puts and calls can be, I mean, there's risk, as you say, he was willing to lose it all, but they can pay off big time as they did in this case, especially with a stock that is is as volatile initially it was roku and then as you say he sort of went back in to a different stock or to roku again
5: he went into the s p 500 etf um so i I think we've talked about this before there's that beautiful huge liquid ecosystem around it and so you can get uh cheap options there
0: why reddit
5: uh i guess one i was afraid to go to 4chan uh two, (laughs) two it's just it's a huge community and um, I think the one thing I found just kind of looking today is uh, there's a lot of Bloomberg users on there. There's a lot of screenshots from the Bloomberg terminal. I mean, these aren't all guys just sitting in, you know, their houses by themselves. Yeah, like, these
1: aren't day traders in pajamas. They're not. They're
5: mm-hmm. absolutely not all day traders. A lot of these people have a Bloomberg terminal in front of them. And so I, and it, it is
1: interesting that the why Reddit question I, I feel like is, is really good because okay. what's that? Good. I'm glad you're, that you you're welcome. I, I like all your questions. All right. at, at most of your questions. All right. I'm going to get flogged uh, <laughs> in the break. Carry on. What's going on? But I mean, it is interesting because there's a great book about Reddit uh, that's been out. We've had the author on a couple of times. And I mean, it just talks about the culture, the sort of unbridled and that obviously comes in many forms as you've said Brandon but it is this sea of information sea of opinions some of which are good some of which are sort of well thought out some of which are not uh but for those willing to kind of sift through it all as this guy was maybe there's something
5: there yeah absolutely and and that's what Eddie says is he uses it for uh, developing his watch list, which I, I think makes total sense, right? We see this with big data companies that sell their, their data off the hedge funds when they're scraping Twitter. I mean, one thing you can definitely see here is sentiment. So if you're trading options, that's a great way to go. I mean, right. you, you can look there and you can see where people are getting ahead of themselves.
0: Yeah, there are some amazing lines in this. Toss yeah. in a smidge of casual racism and a whiff of locker room misogyny. <laughs> and Wall Street bets is a window into the back rooms of a seedy stock market casino with no Burry to be found. And talking about uh, Michael Burry, uh, of course. Made of famous the by Short. The
1: Big Short. Yeah, I, it's I would, a great read.
5: I would love to take credit for that line, but that's a Bob Avery special uh, right there. It
1: sounds a lot. I can hear Bob Avery's voice there. Uh, it's a terrific piece all the way through. A great piece of reporting and writing. Brandon Kachkoden, uh, check it out. It's one of the most read stories on the Bloomberg
5: Is the drive to the close. That punk music
1: will drive us till the dawn. On Bloomberg Radio. All right. Well, it is time for the drive to the close. Barry James, Portfolio Manager for James Investment Research, based out in Ohio, here with us in New York City today. Great to have you here in New York. Good to be with you. All right. So tell us about how you're looking at the market right now, because I feel like last week, Lisa, all we talked about was trade. This week, we're talking a little less about it as the U.S. and China sort of try and get together. We've got all sorts of other geopolitical things to worry about, most notably Turkey, where we saw some movement, obviously, today, uh, obviously looking at Brexit and the EU and U.K. negotiations as well. How do you find the signal in the noise here to actually create a scenario by which you have a, a good investment thesis?
6: That's a great question. You know, when I look at it, I'm from Ohio, and we have a lot of corn, and we have corn mazes. And uh, you get walking in one of those and go down one path, there's impeachment. Another one, there's China. Another one, there's Iran. And there, another one, it's slowing economy. Wow, but you're, you're, there's a way to break through.
0: Ohio corn mazes are different than the ones in New York. Yeah. Carry on.
6: <laughs> so there's a way to break through that and get to the, the heart of things. And there are two things that I would look at. Number one is... Um, looking at the macroeconomic environment that we're in, and we're seeing some slight improvement. And on the Bloomberg terminal, you have the uh, economic surprise, and they're coming in about three out of every four positive. So that is a a, a good sign that we're not going to be staying in the dumps for long. And the other side is just the momentum of the market. Mm. Uh, In spite of all that's happened and all those things in the corn maze, you just break right through and you look at momentum is still up and uh,
1: that's the path the market wants to go i'm going to use that corn maze uh metaphor i like that you like it I and like you're it. in
0: a corn maze when you walk down and there's impeachment yeah um it's like oh kids we hit impeachment yeah. again uh, kids um, impeachment. But, oh oh, wait. oh wait. It's, wait
1: it's boris johnson yeah,
0: like look at that we've <laughs> got his hair um barry i do want to ask you though uh you know when was the last time that you actually made a substantial shift in your portfolio's allocation
6: well we are making one here recently. Okay. Um, so which we were was? about 40% in our uh, golden rainbow fund, uh, which is it's uh, actively managed and the, um, uh, the overall allocation is as well. So we're going up to about 50%. So it's, it's taking time. We never jump from one extreme to the other. But uh, we think that we're starting to get past uh, the, the situation where we
1: have to be really fearful of uh, the market having a sharp correction here near term. All right, so let's talk about some names. We love talking about specific stocks. And one of the ones I believe you like is Molson Coors, TAP, T-A-P is the That's ticker. Right. Uh, what about that do you like?
6: Well, when you're in a corn maze, you know, you get lost. Uh, it's time to
1: have a cool one. Yeah, no. exactly. You got a cold beer, you're less worried about getting <laughs> it's lost. Like, wait, you know. wait,
0: which, which way? It doesn't matter. Yeah, you just uh, sit it's down, all good. you park it's down. And good.
1: You're less scared of Boris Johnson. It's fine. You have a couple, it, couple of years of corn? <laughs>
6: It's 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 really 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 cheap. Um, it's trading at less than what the accountants value it for. It's trading at less than the sales of the company. Yeah. Uh, and they've uh, I think they've retrofitted themselves for the new environment with all the craft beers and whatnot, and uh, even getting into some cannabis stuff. Well, I, I was gonna go say like a little bit that. of
1: cannabis uh, <laughs> going on there, experimenting. You know, maybe dipping their toe, maybe a little bit more than, than some of their competitors. And so versus an A B M bev or something like that, it's cheaper. It's, it sounds right. like your, your main play here. Yeah,
6: and in the industry, it's cheaper. And the earnings aren't as good as they were, but the price is down, and it's better than the last quarter. Not a year ago quarter, but the last quarter.
0: Right. Do you, can I ask you a question? Yeah. In Ohio, are people drinking Coors, Coors Light?
6: Um, they sell it.
0: Right, I, I know, but, but my point is, I mean, do people, are, craft beer is taken off there too, right?
6: Oh, huge.
0: Right, huge. so my question is, I mean, don't you see this and people like whiskey? They like whiskey and, and stuff yep. like that there, right? I mean, yep. right? It's shifting away. So what do you say to people who are like, there's just sea change away from these beer companies?
6: Well, I would say that um, there's still opportunities for them to move into the craft beer market, and they are. And so um, maybe they can't match the the local brewmeister or whatever in terms of the the local. um, And we have a lot of local beers, I guarantee you. But uh, I, I still think that they've they've got a, a strong a strong market and a lot of money behind them, and they also have a dividend over four percent. Did I mention? 4%? Wow, 4%? that's interesting. <laughs>
1: uh, so, Travelers is another name you like in the finance insurance sector. Obviously, a lot of focus on the finance names this week with the big banks coming out. Morgan Stanley, yep. uh, obviously, surprising folks today in a positive way. What about Travelers? Is it that makes you bear, uh, bullish?
6: Well, there's several things. Um, Their uh, revenues are stateside, so that I don't have to worry about that part of the, the corn maze of, of trade or whatever. Um, the financial sector does pretty well when the, the dollar is strong and interest rates are down. We've got both of those. That's uh, providing a good, a good source. They've been buying back shares, uh, which maybe isn't, you know <laughs> earth-shaking news yeah uh but um they're they're a very steady performer and their uh, earnings have been you know just kind of clockwork so uh, in a in a somewhat topsy-turvy uh, market we think it's a good thing to hold uh
0: you also uh, look at verizon as a as a good buy and i noticed that in all of your picks or at least in verizon and cores there's that dividend right there's that four oh. percent dividend with the verizon and this is a theme that I'm seeing across the board. How concerned are you about the focus of some of your peers also on dividend paying stocks and just how yeah. high the uh, the valuations are getting on those particular equities?
6: Yeah, well it I think, uh, you know, earlier in the year or last year, dividend-paying stocks did not do well. Um, so they're having a, a renaissance, if you will, certainly with the interest rates coming down. Um, my, my biggest concern is can they pay it? And I think uh, Verizon is, oh, I don't know, 35% of their earnings are going to pay that 4%-plus. Dividend yield, so um, it is. It is a, a a little bit of a concern. I don't want it to get too popular, but I don't think we're there yet with Verizon.
1: All right, we're going to leave it there. Barry James, portfolio manager for James Investment Research, he's based out in Ohio. Nice enough to spend some time. With Lisa and myself here in New York City today. Thanks for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show every weekday at 2 p.m. Eastern only on Bloomberg Radio.